Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Our Lord God, we just know that you are here present with us this morning and that you are enough. You are enough and you say to us that we are enough as well, God. You don't demand anything more of us than who you've created us to be and call us to surrender our life to you. But Jesus, in you, we find everything we need. I want to pray today as we encounter you as the provider, as Ruth encountered you as her provision. God, may we be overcome again by our God who is enough. Amen. Uh, The word Jireh in the ancient Hebrew means provider. And the first time we encounter this in the biblical story comes in the book of Genesis chapter 22 where Abraham, who has waited a very long time for the promises of God to come to fruition in his life, God promised him a family. God promised him, uh, you know, a descendants more numerous than the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. God promised him his great inheritance. And it came in the form of a son named Isaac, who Abraham and his wife Sarah had in their very old age. And we get to this incredible story. It's quite a confronting story. It's one that has um, become a a bit of a stumbling block for many as they've tried to encounter the goodness of God. It's told in Genesis chapter 22 that starts by telling us that God tells Abraham to take this son, this promise, this heir up to the mountain and to sacrifice him. And so Abraham takes Isaac and they go on a trek and they get to the top and Abraham starts to uh, create an altar and Isaac says, what are you doing? He says, we're going to make a sacrifice. And Isaac says, of whom? And he says, oh, God will provide. And anyway, the story goes that Isaac is bound and just as Abraham lays him on the altar, God provides a ram that's caught in the thickets and Abraham goes and gets the ram and unshackles his son and together they sacrifice the ram. And at that point, Abraham, it says, creates an altar to God, a place of worship, a place of return. And it was a very ancient thing to do to create a place where people could go and be reminded of God's action in that moment. And God says, in this place, we will remember that God is Jehovah Jireh. Well, God is the God of provision. He is the one who provided And at that moment, we get a sense of God, something of the nature of God that we hadn't encountered before. And and as I said, this story of Abraham and Isaac is very confronting to a lot of people. I mean, we don't like to think of child sacrifice. We don't like to think that God would ask Abraham to do something. But there's, there's something really nuanced in the story. And I've got to admit, there's some stories in the Bible, this being one, that I wish we had a bit more detail. Which they gave a little bit more detail because we don't fully understand the context. But to give you an understanding, the world in which Abraham lived had so many differing cultures and our worldviews and understanding of God and the demands of the gods and in many of the cultures surrounding Abraham and, and that he would have grown up in, he knew that the gods often demanded the sacrifice of life. So he'd seen it, he'd experienced it, he knew that it was the thing that gods demanded. And he didn't have the benefit that we have of 
thousands of years of history and story and a Bible that he could go to to read about the nature of God. He just knew that this was the thing that people told him that gods could demand. And so when God invited him to do it, it was a very confronting thing. But this is just what gods did, right? They demanded blood. But God in that moment wants Abraham to experience something of his nature that Abraham hadn't yet experienced. And that is that God is the God of provision. See, God had no intention for Abraham to ever sacrifice his son. Isaac was the promise and was his heir to the promise. God wanted to see that Abraham was going to be faithful to him, but God wanted to say, I'm not like the gods of all the surrounding cultures. I'm the God of provision. And in that moment, there was a line in the sand where God said, I'm not going to ever demand you to sacrifice your kids. I'm actually going to provide an alternate way because that is what God is like. And so Abraham says, wow, I've just discovered something new about God. He's the God of provision. Fast forward to the next book in the scriptures, the book of Exodus. And God leads a nation of people, the people of Israel, out of slavery. They've been in Egypt 400 years and they're led out of slavery. But the weight of the land that God had promised them took them through the desert. And because they were stubborn and you know, they were disobedient and they liked to do things their own way. Does that sound like anyone you know? Sounds like someone, you know, I know. But they didn't want to trust God's way. And so they wandered in the desert for 40 years. But can I just tell you, a desert's not a great place to find food. Desert's not a great place to find sustenance. And a whole nation wandering in the desert when there's already not many resources is going to struggle to find any resource to sustain and nourish them. And so it says they grumbled against God. You know, we should go back to Egypt. Egypt's a better place. At least we got fed there. They forgot about how oppressive it was. It's, it's funny sometimes when God takes us into a new season, how our heart starts craving that which we've stepped out of because the unfamiliar territory we find ourselves in. And when God takes you forward, don't ever crave what he's taking you out of. Keep walking forward because he'll provide for you in that moment. And God provides for his people in the form of manna and quail. Manna was like a bread-like substance that when they woke in the morning, the dew on the ground dried and there was this bread-like substance that sustained them. It was the carbohydrate of heaven. Hoping the feast of heaven's better than just manna. Let me just say that. I'm sure it will be. And then quail at night, like the birds would just flock in. And so every day, the people of Israel had their food provided. It even said in other parts of the story that water was drawn from the rock because God provided for his people. Now that's a miracle. Because you don't get fed and sustained in the desert. But God sustained his people in the desert. They were given manna and quail every day. How many things can you do with manna and quail? That's what we're feeding you all at our church party this year. We've got some modern takes of manna and quail. But God again proves what Abraham discovered on the mount, that he is the God of provision. Fast forward now to the next book of the Bible, the book of Leviticus, and we get into what I call is the graveyard of every young Bible reader from start to finish. Leviticus is where our passion stops and the energy runs out because we get into the law and the law is like, go read any legal textbook. It just gets quite laborious and quite detailed, but there's some gold in there that speaks to the heart of God. And I want to talk about one particular law today 
that Leviticus speaks. It's just one verse. It seems like a little throwaway line in Leviticus 23, which is filled with a whole bunch of random legislation that God gives to his people, and we can easily move past it, but it has a real impact into the story that David read for us this morning from Ruth 2, and it comes from Leviticus 23, verse 22. God says to an agricultural people, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor, for the foreigner residing among you, for I am the Lord your God. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings. The gleanings were the leftover bits, you know, the bits that didn't get picked up by the harvester. Don't pick up the gleanings, leave them for the poor and the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. This little verse, this little kind of piece of legislation in God's law for his people, we so easily move past and we so easily miss. But once again, it's another statement to us that God is a provider. So back to the story we've already heard this morning from Ruth chapter 2. And Ruth the Moabite says to Naomi, her mother-in-law, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain. In other words, let me put into action part of our law found in Leviticus 23. Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. And Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out entered the field and began to glean behind the harvesters. She's enacting something God put in place for the provision of the foreigner and the poor. And we looked at this last week that, that Ruth is a Moabite woman who has lost her husband and has no children. She is in the society in which she lived one of the most marginalized people that you could imagine. And now she returns to the land of her mother-in-law, Naomi, where she is a foreigner and her and her mother-in-law really are in desperate need. And so Ruth says, well, it says in your word that I should be able to go and glean behind the harvesters. And so she does that. I said last week that in the story of Ruth, God isn't mentioned a whole lot of times. But right here is where we see God at work in the story of Ruth right now. You see, sometimes we expect the God moments to be lightning bolts from heaven, but sometimes the God moments are just in the ordinary everyday things that he provides for us that we don't even see nor acknowledge. See, God is a God of provision. And so I want to talk for just a couple of minutes this morning about provision. Because God is a God of provision. In Ruth chapter 2, Ruth discovers God's provision in the most mundane and menial of way, where she gets to go and follow the people harvesting the field and pick up the gleanings so that she can have food to eat. So I want to say three things about God's provision to us this morning. And the first is this. We need to learn to acknowledge God's provision. We need to see God's provision. I reckon one of the the, the challenges for us in our culture and in our day is this. We judge God on the excess not on the miracle of his provision in the first place. Manor and quail in the desert for 40 years would have got old. I mean, they were complaining about not being in Egypt because they had no food, and then God provides them food. Think, just, just dwell on that moment for a minute. A whole nation in the desert 
sustained for 40 years by the provision of heaven. That is a miracle. But man, manor and choir would get boring, wouldn't it? After a few days. If anyone 20 years ago when it was all the thing, try the cabbage soup diet. Cabbage soup gets boring after two hours. Didn't matter in quail for 40 years. I mean, imagine Ruth, she's gleaning the leftover grain in the field that's been harvested. Now, it would be really easy for Ruth's heart to think, well, I wish I owned the field and I wish I had the harvest. Here am I just getting the leftovers. But in God's heart, the leftovers meant that she had provision in her lack. We can judge God on the excess so often, not on the miracle. And the song that Jordan ministered to with us this morning speaks to God's provision and God being enough. In the book of Matthew, and you almost stole some of my message, mate. That's not a good thing to do, especially when you're a GMS student. It's a black mark against your name. But Matthew 6, following on from what Jordan already read to us, Jesus says this. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Now, I reckon one of the first things that, and we talked about gratitude a few weeks ago, but I reckon one of the things that we need to show gratitude to is to God's provision. I want to encourage you this week to go back and look at your story and be reminded of the times that God provided As I said, we judge God on the excess. He didn't give me all that I wanted. But sometimes we miss the miracle, the small way that God has provided for us. So we need to acknowledge God's provision. Secondly, we need to mimic God's provision. I reckon it's strange that often we have an expectation on God that's very different from the practice we want to impose upon ourselves. God can put something into place, but then he needs his people to follow through on it. Ruth could only glean the harvest because the gleanings were left behind. She could only pick grain on the edge of the field because Boaz was actually acknowledging God and actually doing things God's way with the way that he administered that which God had blessed him with. See, we often, we all look at God and expect him to provide, but God's actually put us here to actually be his hands and feet and to help provide for those that are in need. See, we need to mimic God's provision. I've got a really simple little illustration of how I think this pans out for us. And James is going to hate me because it involves plastic balls that Don has had for 10 years and we have found in every nook, cranny and crack of this church for 10 years because of moments like this. But I reckon this is how many of us treat that which we have. You see, we like to just gather as much as we can and fill our tank. We we just like to... And this is kind of what God says to his people. When you 
Harvest your field. Now, I'm not a farmer, and most of you aren't farmers. Actually, I don't know anyone here that, that has, I can't even grab these stupid things. I don't know anyone here that harvests wheat or barley. Does anyone do that? We don't do that, do we? So we just go, well, Leviticus 3 doesn't matter for us, but many of us have means. Now, now what Leviticus 23 says is, as you're provided for by what God's provided you, leave the gleanings for those that have nothing. You know what the real challenge for us is? Many of us do this, but then we do this. We go and glean our own field because something in our heart tells us that we don't yet have enough. And, you know, there's some things I'm getting for you now, James. Hey, how's that? There's some things that we really want that right now we can't afford. And there's no way we're going to be able to afford them if we leave stuff behind. So we're just going to go and pick up the gleanings from our own field. And not only that, not only are we going to pick up every skerrick of what's available to us, we're actually going to go and borrow some stuff of other people too because really what we have isn't yet enough because we want more and more and more and more. To the point where it's overflowing but I don't want anyone else to get a hold of it. You say something I think is going to be really confronting for some of us. We want God to pour out on us 90% tithe of the riches of heaven. Yet many of us can't even find 1% of what we have to contribute to anybody else. See, the way we treat God is that we expect that he should pour out the riches of heaven on us. Not just a measly 10% tithe. We want all of the riches of heaven. Everything that we want, we want God to provide. Everything that we think we need, which is really just another want, we expect God to provide when things are getting tight because of decisions we've made. We expect the God to come through on them. Actually, we just want God to pour out his riches on us. I mean, 90% of heaven would be awesome, wouldn't it? And some of us probably even go more than that. But when God actually asks us to be his hands and feet, we're kind of scurrying around our fields, picking up every skerrick that we can because we are people that just attuned to want more and bigger and better and newer and brighter. What happens if God's people were actually the ones that actually saw him as the God of provision that asked us to be the people of provision and started to become more generous than that which we had? That our heart was more tended towards those that we could help more than how we could help ourselves. And we hear these messages and they're really unpopular. Jesus talks a whole lot more about this than he ever gives us advice around pandemics and around sex. He talks about money and possession and how we treat that which God has given us more than anything else that sometimes we want to compare it to. Because he actually wants to say, I'm the God of provision, but you as my people, I want you to be people of provision. So what's it look like for you not to glean your harvest or harvest right to the edges so there's something left for God to use 
to bless those that are hurt, broken, and without. I ask a really confronting question today. It says, what are you leaving behind? Now, you probably just think, well, if you knew my circumstances, I don't have a lot to leave behind. Look, I'll just show you on my new iPhone 12 what the latest stats of... I speak this message to myself as much as I speak to any of you. Because I too feel the pressure and the pain of this. But God is a God of provision. How do we mimic God's provision? Naomi says to Ruth, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she'd been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. See, the provision didn't just end in the field. It went even further than that. And we don't have time to jump into all of it today. We'll get touched on next week. Really excited, Kath Talik. Many of you know Kath. Kath's going to be here with us next week. She gets to do Ruth 3. It's the best part of the message. It's very kind of me. But we talk about the guardian redeemer. The guardian redeemer was actually a legal, a legal thing that was actually part of the Levitical law as well. Go read Levitical 25. But the guardian redeemer essentially said if there was someone who uh, had lost their land because of destitution or had lost their land because of uh, poverty or had, had to sell it to someone else to survive and they're a relative of yours, when the year of God's jubilee comes, you can go and purchase that land back. More than that, there was actually a provision in the law in Deuteronomy 25. Go look at Leviticus 25, Deuteronomy 25, that said, if your brother marries someone and your brother dies and that woman has yet to have a child that would be her heir and an heir to the family, well then the brother is asked to marry his brother's now widow. Some of you are sitting there going, that meant that I would have had to have married my sister-in-law. That is not a good law. Not a good law. But this was, this, was, this was more than just romance. This was actually about care, concern, about future, about family lineage, about land, about... It was, God actually put a provision in it. Say, not only can the guardian redeemer go and redeem the land, the guardian redeemer can actually take on the family and help provide an heir to the family. And, and so Boaz, who is related to Naomi and now through marriage to Ruth, is actually someone that is in the law, able to play the role of the guardian redeemer for Ruth and for Naomi. In other words, can redeem their land of their husband, their father-in-law, Elimelech, but can also continue the family line. And so Ruth says, he is one of our guardian redeemers. You see, the story of Ruth isn't just of the provision of grain, it's also the provision of something so much greater the idea of a guardian redeemer, which in the story has a legal connotation, but in the story that God wants us to hear isn't just about grain or acquisition of land or continuation of family. It's actually the story of the way that God wants to treat us. He is our guardian redeemer. You see, Boaz was about to become the source of Ruth's redemption story. 
And the story of Ruth chapter 2 is that God is the God of provision. And the third thing I want to say is this. Acknowledge God's provision, mimic God's provision, and thirdly, accept God's provision. There's a little nuance in the story. And let, let me just read it from the NLT translation because a little turn of word here that I think is really good. It says that Ruth goes to glean in the field. And as it turned out, as she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elmila, as she happened to come, she just happened, didn't she? Ruth just happened to land in the field of her relative, her relative that under the law could become her guardian redeemer. Like she just happened by chance, maybe, maybe not, to land in Boaz's field, who we find out actually has the capacity to redeem her economically, legally, through her family. You know, one of the questions I can't answer that I'd love to be able to answer is, is you know, when circumstances in life are chance and when it's God's sovereignty at work. And, and I don't know whether it is here, but all I know is it's not by chance that Ruth found herself in a place where she could experience God's redemption. And the thing I want to say to you is it's not by chance that you'll find yourself in a place where God wants you to experience his redemption. Ruth, as it happened, landed in the field of the person that could become her guardian redeemer. I want to suggest that maybe you're here today because as it happened, you found yourself sitting in a church one day where you got to hear for the very first time that there is a God in heaven that wants to redeem your story. And as it happened, you were sitting in Gateway Ormo on the 14th of November, 2021. For the very first time, you recognized there was a God in heaven that loved you so deeply that he provided a way for you to be redeemed, to have your story redeemed. You know, Isaac and Abraham on top of the mountain were overwhelmed as God made it very clear that kids don't get sacrificed. There's always an alternative. So the ram was dragged out of the thicket, led to the altar, and the ram was sacrificed that day. And Isaac went on to inherit the promise that God had for him and become the heir to the promise that God had for Abraham. For for hundreds of years after that, the, the people of Israel used to take animals, goats and rams and sheep and bulls and like church was a really bloody place. Like there was a lot of sacrifice of animals as a reminder of, you know, God's grace and God's goodness. And, and then a time that's about 2,000 years in our history now, God said, okay, we're going to change the narrative one more time. Isaac wasn't sacrificed. I provided for you. You've been sacrificing all these animals every time just going to seek my grace and my redemption, my forgiveness, but I'm going to do something one time for all. And God said, I'm actually going to myself take this on. And God himself, God the Son, clothed himself in humanity and came and had his blood shed, shed as a sacrifice for your sin. He took the place that you deserve that got bumped and taken by an animal in your place and then God took the place of the animal and said no no one time and for all this sacrifice thing is done I'm actually going to give my own life so that you can know my redemption 
See, Jesus becomes our guardian redeemer. He becomes the means by which you and I can be redeemed. That we can have our future transformed from the story of our past. And Ruth, the Moabite widow, foreigner in the land, just one day by chance happens to find herself experiencing God's provision through the law by gleaning the harvest field of a man named Boaz, who she finds out later is actually someone she is related to. And because of that connection, he is able to become her guardian redeemer. And as we're gonna find out in Ruth three and four, it becomes a beautiful love story where her life and her future and her history becomes redeemed. And just a little hint for Ruth chapter four, she becomes part of the family line of Jesus. And that's just what Jesus has done for you. He's taken your mess, your brokenness. He's taken your past. He's taken your history. He's taken wherever you've come from. He's taken whatever it is that's depleted in your story and He becomes your Redeemer. Because that is what God is like. God, the provider, has provided for you. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you today that in this beautiful ancient story, Lord, not only do we see your heart practically, we're reminded that doing things your way is good for us and it's good for people around us. God, as Boaz did the very practical and simple thing of not harvesting to the edges of his field or picking up the gleanings, but he left it for those that were without God. Just as he commanded you to do, we're reminded that doing things your way is a good way to do things. Lord, I wanna pray right now that some of us that are actually living outside of your way of doing things and still looking for your blessing in it might come right back into the center and be reminded that when you ask us to do something, you know because it's for our best. But Father, more than that, in the story of Ruth, we discover the story of redemption. As Boaz is the guardian redeemer of Ruth and Naomi, you are the guardian redeemer of us. And your story has already redeemed our story. Hey, just while every eye is closed and if you are a part of this place, you're a follower of Jesus, why don't you just join me right now by sitting where you are and praying. I just want to give you an opportunity this morning. Maybe you've sat here for a long time. Maybe you're a young person here today that's been dragged along to church with your family. and Now's your moment where I want to invite you to have an encounter with the grace of Jesus. I want to invite you to discover a God in heaven that loves you so much that he gave his own life so that your story could be redeemed, so your brokenness could find wholeness, so your sin could find forgiveness, and so your future could find hope. And the Bible tells us really simply that, you know, if we confess Jesus with our lips, in other words, if we actually declare that he is the one who we're going to put our faith and our trust in, If we own up to our mess, He will be that redemption story for us. He'll become our Lord and our Saviour. His grace will forgive us of our sin and our past. And our future will become secure in His story. If you've never taken the step of acknowledging Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, if you've never prayed that prayer, I'd, I'd love today to be your day. You didn't just happen to be here today. It wasn't just an act of chance. God brought you here because He wanted you to hear how much He loves you. So if you've never actually 
taken that step, put your faith in Jesus. I'd love to pray with you this morning, but just while everyone else has got their eyes closed, they're praying with me, just so I can see it and acknowledge you and pray it with you. I'm just going to pray a prayer that I'm going to ask you just to speak in the quiet of your own space today. Can I just ask you just to raise your hand just so I can see it, I can acknowledge it, and we can pray together this morning. Anyone here today that for the very first time would like to put their faith and their trust in Jesus as their Lord and Saviour and have their story redeemed. A real sense there might be a young person here today that today is your day. You've never, you've never taken this step, but today is your day. Just, just raise your hand enough that I can see it and I can pray with you. That's cool. Come on, church, let's stand to our feet this morning. And as we do, I just want to give you the opportunity. Maybe you need to discover God's provision. Maybe there's just a a need in your life. There's just a a great need right now that you have. And you're just desperate for God to intervene and just to to step into your story and just prove himself as Jehovah Jireh, your provider right now. If you're just carrying something and you carried it into church this morning, I just want to give you the opportunity today to let our... Our team stand with you and pray just to help. The Bible says that we should bear one another's burdens. I reckon one of the great ministries of the local church is we get to do that for each other. And so if you carried a burden in here today where you know you just need to experience God's provision in your story, in your family, maybe right now at the end of a really tough 18 months, you just need God's provision into your business or your finance. We'd just love to stand with you and bear that burden with you in prayer this morning. And so as we sing a song that's declare, He is the way maker. I want to give you the opportunity just to make your way to the front. We'd love to pray with you. So let's sing together, church. Why don't you take that opportunity right now from wherever you are to move to the front so we can pray with you this morning. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.